No. Hang on, I'm gonna be right. I have a cat stuck in here, and he's gonna start complaining. Come on, buddy. You're too big. You can't be in here. Hello, hi. Welcome to Creativity, the podcast where art and engineering collide. On this podcast, we talk about all kinds of stuff from art to engineering to everything in between. Today, we've got something, we're talking about a subject that some of you may know a lot about, some of you may not know anything about, which is CNC machining. And we've got a very special guest today named Winston Moy. How are you today, Winston? I'm doing really fine. It's an early Saturday morning for me, but uh, this I, I'm looking forward to this. This should be a good start to my weekend. Yeah, well, hopefully, uh, hopefully that's uh, that'll be the case. Um, Winston basically he he did a YouTube channel where he he t- talked about the Shapoko CNC machine, and basically it was so good that Carbide Three D picked picked him up and decided <laughs> he should work for them directly. Is that is that an accurate assessment of your? Uh, it experience is. In life? It's or- a little bit of a oversimplification because that process took several years. Um, but that, that's kind of how it went down. Uh, when I first got started with CNC, the environment, the market was all different. Um, it was kind of like the early days of 3D printing, where you can buy different kits and put them together. Um, and people. Sure. And, and what, what year is this? Just this so we can is about 2013. Okay. Um, I believe. So when I was doing my shopping, I was finishing up grad school, I was looking for a hobby. Um, and I like just did a Google search for desktop CNC kits and some sites had like here are the top 10, whatever. There are some small ones. There are some large expensive ones. Um, and the shape Oko two at that time sort of hit that bill as that sweet spot. Um, like under a thousand bucks looked like it had a decent work area. And so I pre-ordered one. Um, and as it turns out, I was like in the first batch of people who got their machines. I think it was like the first 250 or something. And so that meant that when I did an unboxing video, I was like the first one out there. And that that kind of gave me the momentum I needed to just keep making projects because uh, people were all looking like, hey, this this new kit that just came out, is it any good? What can you make with it? Uh, so I kind of I got lucky there. Um, sure. Sure. Well, with it. I think we might have gotten lucky. What's that? I think we might have gotten lucky. That's right. We got lucky to have such good content to watch, right? Is that what you're saying? It is. It is. Winston's doing a fantastic job. Well, Well, thank you. (laughs) If if we can just take a step back here for people, you know, I say CNC machining, you know, uh, I guess, I guess, first of all, what, what a shape Oko is, is, is a, a CNC router. And, and, and if you're picking that, taking that even a step further, a router is basically something like a, like a, to simplify it, terribly simplified. It's like a drill that you drill down and then it goes horizontally and you can cut out squares and shapes and whatever, whatever else. And then you get a computer could get to control this and you can cut basically anything you want. I mean, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Just, just thought I'd put that out for there for people who, yeah. There, there's no a lot of ways we can simplify this. Um, like a CNC is uh, CNC. When I say CNC, I mean like CNC router, but CNC can be generalized to a laser um, or a printer. CNC basically just means it's a robot that'll move where you want it to go. And you can either use that to inject material like molten plastic or move a cutting tool like a end mill. Okay. Yeah, that's that's true. And it basically, you go through what's called CAM software, computer-aided machining or manufacturing, I believe. Manufacturing, I think. Yeah, and then it goes gives you something called G-code, which sends it, sends it to a computer or whatever controller you're using. 
and it you know literally says go from point A to point B, but this point A to point B could be a thousand little little steps. And one question I had for you, Weston, you see G code all the time, and you see it written all kinds of different ways. What would you say is the proper way to 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 spell G code, cap capitalization wise? I normally when I'm typing it out, it's on social media, so it's kind of informal and lax. So I'll just do all lowercase. Okay. Um, if I'm typing this out, um, like in a sentence, like for my blog or something, I might capitalize the G, um, okay. but usually I don't really care. Okay. I just, I used to see it written all different, different ways and that's general code, right? Runston, is that, that what that stands for? I don't actually know. Oh, okay. Well, it's, Jeremy, it's like... you've got me wondering what, yeah, I write G code in my blog all the time and I, I don't even know what my editor corrects it to. <laughs> it's um and she I, must it's maybe it's transcended an acronym at this point it's just a it's just a thing i guess now i'm going to be wondering about this the whole rest of the episode well um my understanding is it stands for general code and it's something that goes way back to when cnc was you know i guess a little more exotic than it is even now i guess I mean, it's it's kind of just a it at the fundamental level. It's a programming language. Um, it's not too dissimilar from Fortran. Just basic instructions, some really simple arguments, and you string them together, and it does something far more complex than the sum of its parts. Sure, sure. <clears throat> and yeah, CNC router basically it's got a it traditionally you'd say it's got some sort of carriage on it, which is something that just moves the router around it's got a couple steppers that go left and right up and down and it's it's able to create whatever whatever you want and it's pre pretty neat so yeah um, there is another um, there's another variation on that uh, you could move the workpiece instead of the router um, but oh, right. at the end of the day it's just the cutting tool is moving relative to the thing being cut so one question on that though, when you when you remove the workpiece with respect to the um, cutting head, is that where, mm -hmm. does, does that become a milling machine at that point? Because I've always wondered about that too. What the distinction between a milling machine and a router is? That's that's kind of like the general consensus. Like CNC router uh, being a gantry style, you have like the moving x-axis okay. um, with the the long y rails, but uh, and then CNC milling machine would be maybe when you start to think of a Tormach. Um, okay. But functionally, like under the hood, the way the software treats it, it's all pretty much the same. Okay. That's neat. Now, now Matt, uh, Pat, I know you had some specific, more specifics for uh, Winston you wanted to ask to get into. Oh, well, or I'm maybe, maybe not. I wanted it. I, I wish I could say that Winston is the reason I chose the Shape Boco over the X card because they were the two machines I was looking at when I, I needed a machine carbon fiber at home and I needed some. And I saw the picture of, I'm sure you've seen it, Winston, of the X-carve rails that fit inside the Sheboko rails. And mm -hmm. the prices, there's, I don't even remember which one. I, I think there was, a, like, the, the smaller machines, the Sheboko was cheaper than the bigger machines, the X. I don't remember which way that went. But I said, oh, look at the size of those rails. They're almost the same price. I'm going to get the Sheboko. And then the day I ordered it. I started watching your videos, Winston. I probably watched every video in the couple of weeks it took for the Sheboko to show up. It was fantastic. Well, then it probably, uh, you probably got a, you probably hit the ground running then. 
Oh yeah, I was cutting almost almost immediately. Um, I, yeah, it was it was so easy. Nice. So so Winston, what's what is the coolest thing you made with your with your machine with your CNC machine? That's a really tough question to answer um, because there's there's something I really like about each thing I make, unless it's a throwaway project. But usually the way I approach projects is if there's not some new element to it or some twist that I'm putting on an old project, it's not really fun for me. Um, so I'm always trying to take on projects where there's something I don't quite know or there's a new way that I want to try to make something. Um, so it's it's hard to say which one resonates with me the most. There are some really memorable ones. Um, from sort of an artistic standpoint, I really like the um, lightsaber hilt that I made out of wood, which was a collab with um, David Johnson of DIY Engineering. Um, he did a lot of uh, fun electrical stuff with that to hook it up to a servo, uh, put some LEDs on it, and turn it into a beer tap. Very um, cool. And But I think uh, for me, the, the most enjoyable project I did was a little... Um, camp knife that I made on the Nomad, um, which is a small uh, self-contained desktop CNC, uh, smaller than a Shape Oko, um, mm -hmm. but a little more accurate, a little more rigid because it uses lead screws. And mm. that project for me was fun because it forced me to touch on a lot of different areas sort of in the, the maker world. Um, you've got machining the, the metals, like the steels. Um, I used an O1 tool steel uh, so that was a new experience for me. Uh, just you have to go really slow, really shallow. It's a much tougher material to machine than aluminum. Um, then there was also the fact that you have to heat treat this metal to give it the strength and toughness needed to be a knife. And again, that's a completely new experience. Bladesmiths have been doing it for ages, but for me, it was totally new. So I was like kind of freaking out, throwing this thing under the fire and then quenching it in oil and hoping it would be uh, hard enough to be to hold an edge. Um, there's machining composites. Sure. So an O1, is that oil impregnated? Is that, is that correct? Uh, it is an oil quenching uh, tool steel. Okay. Uh, it's, it's pretty, I don't want to say middle of the road, but it's a, a very common one. Um, Starrett has its own uh, similar blend. It's a, it's a fairly common one, and it's fairly forgiving because it's an oil quench. There are also like air quenching steels and other things like that. But like oh one middle of the road and what you mean you, you basically heat you heat this up you heat treat it and then you actually quench it in oil to to make to it to temper or uh, to harden the blade okay um so the way that process works is you need to heat the metal to a critical point where the grain structure starts to dissolve um and then you quench it in oil to quickly bring down the temperature and lock in a certain structure as the metal um, cools down. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, when, I you, remember when, thinking... when the steel arrives, it's it's soft enough to be machinable. But then when you're Barely done heat treating it, enough. yeah. And then when you quench it, when you heat treat it and quench it, you would not want to machine it. Uh, you would not want to machine it on a hobby CNC. Yes. But <laughs> there are people who do actually prefer, uh, it's called hard machining. Um, when you machine it in the hardened state, um, because it's harder, a little more brittle, you can actually shave off cleaner uh, flakes of material in some cases. Um, and then also, 
you're removing a lot of the any scale or any uh, oxidation on the surface. Um, there are pros and cons, but unless you have the a nice strong machine and the high quality tooling needed to do it, it's best to machine it when it's softened. So when you talk about hard machining, are you talking about like an EDM electron discharge machining process or like grinding? Or are you talking about actual actual spinning machines like you would... You can actually mechanically remove material um, wow. from a, a heat treated blade. Um, but it's it's That's not cool. as common. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's not. That's yeah, it's um, you know, it's funny. It's it's something, you know. I know you've got a mechanical engineering degree. I guess I guess that's what you went to grad school too for. I would, I would assume it was uh, aerospace, so aerospace. related. Um, but that was maybe not the best decision I had. Um, it was more of a I thought aerospace was cool, so I wanted to try it out. Um, and I ended up picking a concentration within aerospace that was very similar to mechanical, just because. Mm. I didn't have yeah. the the full background, the computational fluid dynamics and thermodynamics needed to to pull it off in a different track. <laughs> okay, well, no, it's just interesting talking to you because I, I have a mechanical engineering degree myself, and it seems like how can I put this? I, I feel like I just, I'm just kind of all over the place and stuff that I like to learn as far as electronics and whatever else. But it seems like it seems like you've really been able to dive in and. You know, you talk about the O1 tool steel, you talk about machining, heat treatment, et cetera, et cetera. It seems like you've been able to, I guess, concentrate your efforts and become very much an expert at one one field. Is that has that been hard for you to kind of narrow down like that? Or are you or maybe um, I'm maybe I'm maybe I'm not even saying this correctly. I, I actually think CNC has broadened my education. Okay. because um, the way I always see it is or I it took me a while to see it this way, but for me, CNC has been a Trojan horse for different fields and uh, different um, pools of knowledge. Like, I wouldn't have immersed myself in the whole bladesmithing world if I didn't have a CNC, because I don't have a forge at home. Like, I'm not going to, like, I don't have a welder. The metalworking stuff kind of scared me. And this yeah. gave me an excuse to sort of dip my toes in that world. And there's a lot of other little... Uh, things that CNC will reinforce from my education that I would otherwise have forgotten. So like, for example, just like a really basic thing, if you're machining something, uh, the thinner you machine it, the the more um, strain will move it around. Uh, so if you're machining something really thin, like some ornamental silver, like you need to, to really secure it. You've got to work hold it. Um, you've got to support it. And that's that's a strength of materials thing. That's a statics uh, thing. And uh, maybe if I'm designing something in Fusion, I have to consider how strong is this going to be when I machine it? Uh, is it going to meet my applications? So learning the theory in school is one thing, and you'll probably forget it after you leave school. But when you have a CNC and you're designing your own things, you are pushing material around, shaving it, seeing how it breaks. Uh, it's actually... it reinforces aspects of your education that if you were working a desk job, you would probably just forget. Uh, and so that's why I've really been enjoying CNC because it just, it gives me an excuse to really dig in and absorb or reinforce the knowledge I had before. Sure. And and how long have you been, I guess, full-time doing what you do as, as far as 
Were you full-time YouTube before you went to Carbide 3D or oh, were you? No, uh, <laughs> back in those days with a couple thousand subscribers, there was no way to make that sustainable. And even now, I, I don't think I can make the jump to full-time YouTube without another year or two of really grinding at it. Um, right. When I got my Shape Oko 2, I had just left grad school. I was working for the Navy as a civilian. Um, doing support equipment for uh, UAVs. Uh, support equipment being all the tools and ancillary equipment that you need to keep a plane flying that's not the plane itself. <laughs> so like if you go to the airport, the like the tugs, the maintenance equipment, um, all that stuff that goes on to keep a plane flying is the kind of stuff that I worked on. Sure. Um, and it was, it's cool that it's with planes, but it's also not so glamorous because it doesn't fly. Um, so it, I mean, it was, it was a decent job, but it didn't really excite me in any way. So I would go home and I would just draw something up in SolidWorks or Fusion and start sure. machining in my garage and tinkering. And that's what was scratching the creative itch, not really the day job. So I've wondered about that, you know, jobs, I remember I had a job with a, um, you know, nominally they were a race car company, but we were making radiators and it was. You know, you know, it was kind of, I, I don't anyway, I don't want to say too much bad about them, but it wasn't the best job I've ever had. I'll just, I'll just put it that way. But then, you know, I worked for some other places that maybe would have seemed a little bit more boring, but you're working more in the uh, process automation, you're working on the robotics, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, I don't know, I, I guess just somebody, somebody like you, you know, you wanted a job that it just sounds so, so cool, but I guess you end up working on kind of a, a tiny little part of something. Is that... Is that so, kind of the way I've always described it to people is that you are so far removed from the um, the reward cycle of a project uh, because right. of the size of the government and the Department of Defense. You can work on something, you can get it ready to ship, and it goes out the door, and you don't get any feedback for like six to eight months. So, like, hey, we made this product; it's going out in the field, and it just it disappears from your life and then a little while later they come back and they'll say hey there are these things that need to be changed uh make a revision to it um but you're just like when i make a youtube video i put it out and i immediately get comments hey good job on this you could try doing this i learn i engage and the the cycle is almost instantaneous um but when you're working for the government it just like projects take so long that by the time you hear about them again, you've already lost interest. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, or you're already working on the next thing and you've got to change uh, gears like in your headspace and go back to the old project. Um, so it's just, it it doesn't really work for someone who's looking for instant gratification. Sure, sure. I've worked you... for companies with, you know, tens of thousands of employees, thousands of employees, and just, you know, 100 or 50 employees. And the smaller the company is, the more fun I have doesn't even matter what we're doing at the company it's just it's a it's a nicer experience with smaller when you're more you're a bigger percentage of what's going on in a 50 person company than a 50,000 person or the government of course that's mm -hmm. even bigger the the caveat to that is that um oftentimes you have specialists in very specific areas in a bigger company that you can rely on yeah whereas like for example right now working for carbide if I have a design question, there aren't as many people I can bounce an idea off of. And so I have to rely more on myself, more on my intuition, a yeah. little bit of that education 
uh, to, to decide whether or not this design should move forward. And when anything goes wrong, you have to own it. You don't have anybody yeah. to push up the chain at or, yeah, there's... That was one of the, the biggest hurdles I had to overcome um, when we were designing the Nomad. Um, there were parts of that machine that I had to design and send out drawings to manufacture. And normally when you send out a drawing, there are people who will review the drawings and people who will approve the drawings. And there's so many layers of accountability that you can hide behind. Yep. Because in the government, there's there's always someone more senior than me who's looking at it and saying, oh, oh, just fix this before you send out the drawing. Working for Carbide, there is no higher person. Like it's just, this is your design. If there's something wrong, it's your fault. Yeah. Even not having somebody above, even having other people side by side with you to look at your stuff is nice too. If you get small enough, like like you're saying, if you're small enough, you don't even have the peers to always, at least not always, to look over your stuff and make sure you're not doing something, some boneheaded move. I do boneheaded moves all the time. That that's actually why we brought Pat on as with the co-host of the show, so I'd have somebody to, uh, you, know, you know, yeah, somebody has blame. to make the mistakes. No, it's about um seriously how, how big uh, how big of a company is Carbide, the company you work for? Uh I would say a less than a hundred, more than like a, more than a couple dozen. I don't have exact numbers because I've only seen half the company uh because we're split up from uh between the California HQ and we have a shop in Illinois that's uh kind of like Shapeoko HQ. Okay. And I guess another thing, I mean, you came into them as a, uh, came into Carbide as a content creator, I guess it would be the, the word for what you did, but you say you were designing the Nomad. So, so when did your, apparently your duties switched at some, some point in the. They, it's not that they switched. It's just that they were never fully defined. Um, when we had the discussion about bringing me on, they initially thought I could do about two thirds video and maybe one third random R&D prototyping design kind of stuff. Um, the, the structure of Carbide is, um, it's the opposite of top heavy, like where we have like one guy who does, like he's basically the father of the Shapeoko, Edward Ford um, over in Illinois. Uh, we've got Rob, who's our CEO and he does a lot of the mechanical design. Edward sent me a hat. It's a good hat. Um, so like, it's only like one or two people who really, um, are sort of the technical warrants or the, the keepers of a particular machine design. Um, so it's, we don't have like big teams of engineers working on a, a product. It's, it's a small handful of people. Um, and so when we're designing a machine like the new Nomad 3 or the Shapeoko Pro, um, we don't really have a lot of bandwidth for doing other things like, hey, can you do a test in aluminum with this new cutter or just even test this new machine? Because um, the majority of our staff are people who are building machines, who are doing support, who are uh, basically just doing the day-to-day -day operations. Um, so I kind of am like the the lead of the testing team slash the only member of the testing team. Um, so yeah, there's, there's not a lot of bandwidth and I was sort of there to fill in all the gaps between the high level, between the low level, um, 
of everything that goes on. So I could do a little bit of support, uh, the video stuff for sure, but also all of the the testing, a little bit of um, development where my bosses uh, don't have the time to do that. Hmm. <clears throat> so you, you must stay very busy then, I assume. Yeah, it, it ebbs and flows. Um, Pre-pandemic, before we really got into doing the Nomad 3, um, it was more just video. Mm. Um, and then once the pandemic hit and we were like, all right, we're shifting gears, we're going to get out this product um, or at least start uh, doing a lot of the design and iteration while like we're all stuck at home, um, then I started getting more involved. Um, okay. The way that worked, which I want to make a video on at some point, um, was uh, Rob basically designed the structure of the machine, um, everything mechanical under the enclosure. And then at some point, he just handed me the entire model and said, enclose this machine, but keep the DNA, make it look similar to the old Nomad. And, um, and Rob, Rob is, uh, I guess, one of your designers, or is he? He's the CEO. He's CEO. our programmer. Um, and oh. just basically... If I have a question about a mechanical design, I'll run it past him because he's so, the next highest so he's, up. But also he's the, the CEO, but he actually designed the internals of this. That's that's pretty. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, there's there's very little um, like your management fluff, um, but everyone who's there is there because they have some kind of expertise in something, uh, something nice. technical. No, that's that's like the dream to own your own company yet, you know, actually be able to do the mechanical engineering and stuff. I feel like that's maybe yeah. not everybody's dream, but I, I think that's it's that's Jeremy's it's dream for sure. That's my, that's my but, dream. I mean, there are times where like maybe we could use a little more marketing influence or something. Um, but for now, for the scale we're doing, um, I think we're doing a pretty okay job. So you guys want to take a little coffee break and we'll come back and discuss. Sure. More things about this. Right. Welcome to the coffee break. The, uh, the the part of the podcast where we ask you to to pledge money to us. And uh, no, no, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, and apparently my dog was uh, agrees. But um, yeah. So uh, anyway, we're doing our coffee break now. I've got actual cold coffee. Um, Mine's actually all, water, Jeremy. I'm sorry. Actually, water. Okay. Uh, I want to give a shout out to our top five Patreons, Stuart Morrow, Brian Moses, Pat Regan, Positive Waves, and Stephen Booker. Thanks uh, thanks so much for supporting us. That's really, really awesome. Pat, if, if somebody did want to support us on the podcast, how would they do that? Uh, we'll have a link in the description, but you can go to uh, patreon.com slash creativitycast. No, it's patreon.com slash the creativity. Oh, it is the creativity podcast. All, all one word spelled out. And at some point in the future, we'll get that correct the first time, but it's, it's, it's patreon.com slash the creativity podcast. And what's almost as good as that. I think, you know, the answer to this, Pat. I do liking and subscribing, like the video, leaving comments. YouTube loves when you leave comments and yeah. Yeah, and even if you're on SoundCloud and you can't see our beautiful faces, that's okay too. I bet they like when you hit the like button as well. They, they probably do. I haven't I haven't discussed it with Mr. SoundCloud yet, but I'm sure he would agree. I'll send that. him a message. We'll find yeah. out. 
All right, welcome back, guys. We've had our uh, coffee or had lemonade, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It, you know, we just say that pretty much as we also say. But anyway, Winston, um, we've, oh, I did have something in this. There was some water in there left. That didn't. I, that's not what I expected. <laughs> yeah. So, so Winston, I mean, we've talked about your kind of experience, you know, with carbide, YouTube, you know, even even the Navy, etc. But you, um. I guess we haven't really discussed your machines that, that much with Carbide 3D. I mean, you've got the Shapoko and then the Nomad. I guess, can you tell us, what, what's what's the line between, I guess, why would you get one over the other? What's what's the what's the deal there? So the a little bit about the history of the two of those machines is that they were developed completely independently. Um, but, like, it shows in where we're located. Illinois is sort of Shapoko land. That's Edward Ford. Um, and then Rob and George and back then Apollo were kind of the, uh, the nomad team. And those were two separate products that the, the people in charge started talking to each other and they're like, Hey, we should, um, team up and work on this together. That's why there are, uh, common aspects of the machine, like the, um, controller. Uh, so some of the electronics are shared, but, um, they were designed, uh, with, like basically independently for their own separate purposes. Uh, Shapeoko was always meant to be sort of a, a kit you can assemble yourself uh, that'll give you a lot of work area, um, use it for general purpose, woodworking type things. And of course, people will take that and push it really far and like do crazy cuts in aluminum or steel. Um, and Nomad was um, Nomad was the machine that uh, Rob and Georgia made because that was the machine they wished they had when they were working in the toy industry. Um, so they would do a lot of prototyping and plastics and wren shape and wood. Um, and at the time, uh, CNC wasn't a accessible technology. You had maybe a little bit of 3D printing, but if you wanna make stuff out of uh, like a variety of physical materials, um, you either go to a machine shop or you don't get it. Like there was no do it yourself option. So the Nomad was uh, sort of their dream, like a little machine you can keep in your prototyping lab uh, to, to knock out quick one-offs uh, or even do small batch production runs. And sure. so it had to be a, a self-enclosed, ready to run out of the box kind of experience. And so that's what they designed for versus the self-assembled, um, you have to put in a little more work, but maybe you get some more work area kind of trade-off. So how, how big is the Nomad? Basically, it sounds to me like basically you get like a box and you can set it on your your desk and it does this thing almost like a like a three D printer. It's about the size of a three. Physically, it's about the size of a three D printer. Yeah, it's it's too. pretty similar to like my Ender Five or something. It's um, between four hundred to four hundred and fifty millimeters in length, width, and height, I believe. And that's yeah. the work work area, or that's the... yeah, that's the total size of the machine. Total. The work area uh, is eight by eight by three inches, um, okay. which sort of goes back to the name of the predecessor of the Nomad Three, the Nomad Eight Eight Three Pro. Okay, well that's uh, where Shapeoko starts at like sixteen by sixteen inches, and goes upwards of like thirty one or thirty three inches. Right. Well, that's it's pretty big, pretty big machine. I mean for for its class i guess you know you say big it's um it's all relative for, for someone in their garage um, yeah 
you, right. you wouldn't want to go too much bigger unless you had like a two bay and you want to get a, a four by eight CNC router. But you can do plenty on the shape Oko, and it's oh, at the sure. point where you might start uh, having to displace other things in the garage, like a car, to uh, oh, yeah. get it in there. You know, I guess that uh, I guess to ask you a Navy question: What's the biggest? What's the biggest CNC you had access to in the Navy? I bet that's gigantic. Um, not as gigantic as you think. Like we had the usual, like a bunch of hosses. Um, near when I was leaving, we got like a a five by ten water jet um, that the people who had purchased did not plan for properly, and they had to um, the door basically the double doors that they wanted to roll it through weren't wide enough, so they had to cut a hole oh, in no. the wall of the shop to get it in. Um, but yeah, it's. It was a good amount of manufacturing, but it wasn't anything crazy. Okay. I um, just, I was thinking maybe there was like a, you know, machine that like had a, you know, like a, you know, like a, like a pilot inside that like drove it around, you know, for, I, I don't know. You'd think they'd have something crazy like that somewhere. But uh, it, Again, it, it sounds glamorous. You're making things for aerospace, but none of it flies. And a lot of the interesting stuff is still left to the contractor. So like we would have like equipment from Lockheed or like Northrop Grumman, and they will deal with a lot of the proprietary things that need to interface with the plane. And we're just okay. basically managing them. Okay. Uh, well, I'm, I'm particularly here. excited now because the only thing I make on my CNC is things that fly. <laughs> That's fantastic. You're, you were doing more aerospace engineering than I was <laughs> when I worked for the Navy. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. So, so as far as these machines go, the uh, <clears throat> both the Shapeoko and the Nomad, I guess they their gantries are actuated by, by belts, correct? The Nomad is uh, fully lead screw. Um, oh, okay. In the early uh, iterations, I think in the Kickstarter version, it was belts. Um, but when they like a year or two down the road, they were like, "All right, we're gonna step it up." Um, lead screws in lengths of like 400 millimeters aren't crazy expensive and it is a pretty big step up for a little machine like that where you're trying to be super accurate um shape oko has been built but they've been steadily improving them uh so the original shape oko shipped with six millimeter belts uh in 2015 no the uh, 2016 or 2017 they switched to nine millimeter belts so 50 percent wider um, which means less stretch, uh, a little more accurate. And then for the Shape Oko Pro, they've moved to, I believe, 15 millimeter belts. So mm -hmm. like over double what it was originally. Um, so those belts, they really don't stretch any appreciable amount. Um, at that point, it's kind of like uh, a poor man's rack and pinion setup. Hmm. Yeah, I could I see that. So you... What uh, what kind of accuracy can you expect out of a uh, well? What kind of Nomad versus Shapeoko? What kind of accuracies can we get on? Can you expect on either of those? So officially, um, we say the Shapeoko is good for between five to eight thou, and the Nomad is good for anywhere from one to three. Um, wow, that, but, that's that's pretty good. I mean, you yeah, know, for so, something that for a hobbyist, not maybe maybe hobbyist is the wrong word, but for something. That's better than I would have expected. That's that's pretty. Yeah. So the thing is, um, 
the repeatability of these machines, like the resolution of the stepper motor is better. So if there's a little bit of backlash, if there's a little bit of belt stretch or something, you can compensate for it. If you're trying to machine a hole to drop in a bearing and you want it to be a press fit, if you machine it the first time and it's say five thou undersized, you could go into fusion or whatever you're using and make that hole five thou bigger. And then you run that program again. Mm. And then maybe at that point you're off by one thou. You can creep up on something uh, to a fairly high level of uh, resolution, um, even if the outright accuracy off the bat is off by that initial margin. Um, right. Because so, it'll, so, it'll move back to that coordinate um, within a thou or two. And then you okay. just you run the adjusted toolpath and you can creep up on the exact dimension you want to hit. Okay, so we're, we're you say that I mean that's that seems impressive to me, but then you're saying you can, I guess, unofficially get quite a bit more accurate than you're even, I guess, officially claiming. Is that? Yeah, um, the thing is, most people they're not going to go into fusion. They're not going to tweak their files by a couple thou here or there. Um, so they're like when we give those claims of accuracy, that's sort of like the what we would expect the average person to get. Um, certainly people will take it farther, but that's kind of on them. That's kind of if they have the know-how to tweak the original file or the G code to make those changes. Um, so you can always get more uh, if you're, I don't want to say smart enough because even the regular smart enough, but if they have gained the experience to implement all these little tricks uh, they can use to uh, improve accuracy. Oh, sure. Or if you care enough, I mean, you know, I made a, I, I made something, well, I made a, a box for a, like a fume extractor or something. And, you know, Pat made the comment, you know, well, you probably should have, you know, I'm not surprised you didn't use your CNC router on this, but you probably should have at least made some comment like, well, if I just had an accurate thing that I could ac accurately make interlocking pieces with, I could, you know. Yeah, and it was a fume extractor for the laser cutter, the big yeah. old laser cutter. So you could have cut the. You could have cut the fume extractor with the laser cutter. I could have, or, or my CNC that I have as well. But it's, uh, you know, sometimes you use what's, uh, I don't know. I was trying to just do something quick and dirty. So I, I guess I guess what I'm saying is, you know, even if you have the experience and or the intelligence, and I'm not saying that I do necessarily, sometimes you just want to, sometimes 10,000 is good enough, good enough for the job, yeah. I guess. Well, and I've and noticed honestly, my router, the end mill wiggles quite a bit you've got yeah. some run out yeah I, I mean i've crashed that things so, i mean i do stupid things all the time a friend of my friend who bought the 3018 he uh came over to cut something and he did his first tool pads infusion and we had to flip apart and stuff and he had a there was an extra g28 command and i have my g28 point set up to in a particular spot and something went stupid and the and the machine it just went right to the front corner and just knocked the you know the little two millimeter end mill just got smashed right off the front it was fantastic it was one i mean i do stuff like that all the time though i do my trouble is i only cut something maybe once a month and i forget a lot of things in between and i'm, I'm forgetting a lot less now that i've had the machine for two years but in the beginning oh boy every time i'd forget something and something would go wrong so you're, easy to make. Never really get over that. Um, yeah, I imagine it'll still happen. I think, 
a couple months ago, I, I buried a quarter inch end mill through my wasteboard because I forgot to tighten the collet fully. Uh, it just, as it started moving along, the end mill started pulling out and going deeper and deeper and deeper. It, you, you sort of just get over the fear of making mistakes because you know the stakes are so low. Um, yeah, but you'll never, you'll never be perfect. I'm just glad I only break end mills that cost a dollar twenty. I buy lots of cheap end mills, and because I know I'm going to do this. Yeah, that's good. Ten packs. Oh, so so mind if I go on a tangent for just a second? Um, go for it. Like, so speaking of speaking of things that were uh, it's kind of bad mistakes. I did a I did a bad job the other other week. I tried to take footage of my uh, inside of my laser cutter with my uh, you know thousand dollar plus camera, right? Put it in there, take it out. I thought I had everything right, and then I noticed a couple little spots in my video after that, and I thought for sure I'd I just trashed my camera. Um, good news is it blew it out, and it was all all good. But, it was just dust. Yeah, just thank dust. goodness. But anyway, so uh, I don't know what the point of that was, but I guess I guess listening to your podcast, you um you were influential in getting, I guess, a few more windows put into the, the machine, right? So you could, you could video it from the outside a little bit more. Yeah. Is that right? So there were, there, there were a lot of things on my personal nomad wish list that when I was handed the keys to be able to design the enclosure, I was able to implement. Uh, one of them was like, I pushed really strongly for um, plentiful lighting um, just to make the inside pleasant to work in. Um, we have a couple in the, uh, I call it the support cave. It's where a couple of our uh, support staff work and there's a nomad in there that because we have them do uh, monthly projects, sort of like homework. So they stay current on it, but they're working in an office that's not the best lit. And when you're hunched over the machine, leaning into it, adjusting things, like you cast a shadow and it's really dark. And just the experience of working in like a like a enclosed box with no lighting is just it's not great. And then on camera, it's even worse. Um, and then I also wanted some visibility from the side, uh, just so you could at least line up the end mill with the front of material, because otherwise you're craning your neck in a tiny box that your head barely fits in uh, to check whether or not the end mill is level with the the front of your your block of wood or something. Um, so I got to put in a lot of little quality of life improvements that sure. I was personally a fan of. Um, okay. so yeah, that was nice. So, so now, that, now that they have better lighting and stuff, they call it the, like this, the support, uh, rec room or something a little bit more fun. No, the it room cool? itself is still pretty dark. <laughs> um, okay. but at the very least, um, I have described the, the new nomad as looking as, um, similar to if an Apple store were turned into a CNC machine, because uh, it's nice and bright and inviting. Um, the only thing is like uh, dust will stand out a little bit more, um, mm. but as long as you just wipe down the windows with a soft microfiber cloth, you're good to go. Am I sure. right in remembering that the, the block, this piece that's cut out for the window, is that a, is that where you get that test piece that you send people with the kit that to is, make the tool um, holder? When we were discussing uh, what to do um, for like your with the Nomad, because it's like a machine that comes ready to ship, we also include a tutorial uh, for people to get started with. And it used to be done in a block of Ren shape. Um, and 
when we made the change to the enclosure and we saw, hey, there's this big rectangular gap, uh, what if we can repurpose that material and send it as uh, like your starting stock for your tutorial project? And it, it actually works out really well because we ship more bamboo than we do the HDPE machines. So um, you, if you think for each machine, you get two pieces of material. Um, if you sell, I think like uh, if the ratio of bamboo machines to plastic machines is below a certain threshold, the bamboo cutouts will be enough for the bamboo machines and the plastic machines. That's fantastic. Hmm. So yeah, it, it's a really good way to recycle material and also, like, Renshape is not the cheapest thing, so um, it's nice to be able to repurpose and offcut and make it usable. And, and honestly, I think it looks pretty good as a starter project because Bamboo Ply just has that really unique look. For anyone who doesn't know, Renshape is a plastic that you get in kind of, like, blocks, sheet material kind of. Yeah, it's, I think it's like a machinable, uh, very fine pour polyurethane foam basically that's hard um but because it's a synthetic material it's a little more costly hmm. <clears throat> yeah i wasn't sure myself so i was like well i guess uh i guess they know what they're talking about <laughs> uh, but yeah it's uh i've never actually cut bamboo in my cnc i need to i'm sure it's a pretty good pretty good material um because it's like um it's kind of like uh Baltic birch, I guess. Okay. Uh, it's not like your cheap run-of-the-mill like Home Depot plywood. Uh, you have almost no voids, um, and it's a. I don't know how they process it, um, but the layers are usually like pretty well filled. The uh, it's all sanded and stuff, so it's it's a really nice quality plywood, fairly dense. Um, okay, it makes some nice things with it, but it's so not. I was just thinking about it. It's like, you know, you see bamboo in the wild and it's like, you know, you cut it open or something like, how would you, it's not like you could put this on a sawmill. So it's, it's definitely like a, like a, not an MDF, but a. Engineered in some way. Yeah. Wood, I guess. You, you basically take strips of it and then you uh, laminate them together. Nice. You, you, there's no way you could get like a bamboo, like slab or something. Cause it's, it's hollow on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, that wouldn't really work would it like uh i mean you so could if you like resin filled it or something but there's just so much empty space that the cross section of bamboo itself wouldn't cut it yeah 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 maybe that's a maybe that's like a peter bound project or something <laughs> that I'm, right up his alley. I'm excited about the shape oko pro with the linear rails yeah that and the, was and the bit setter I'm a little that jealous of the nice. bit set. Um, I don't want to say that V-wheels are bad um, because for four years I used a machine with one. They get the job done. Um, but if fine. you're pushing a machine to its limits, you will find its limitations. And that is the first place where the limitations will show themselves. And so with linear rails, the machine is just so much more of a pleasure to use. Um, and it it does shockingly good work for the... Uh, price that the machine is at um i think like the next highest tier up machine you go like you're talking high three thousands four thousand range um and there's a lot of value in the pro i think so too i was a little concerned at first when i saw the price but then i started doing some and it come 
It comes with the upgraded Z-axis mm-hmm. and there's, the bit setter. There's a couple hundred dollars of value just built into the fact of what we're including with the machine. And I'm really jealous of that new table, that new aluminum. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it it's... gives you the best of both worlds. Like you have MDF, you also have T-Track. Um, I have been plotting out how I want to soup that up. And I think I'm going to machine some threaded insert holes into those MDF slats so I can bolt stuff down or use the uh, the T-slots. That's fantastic. For the longest time, like I, I was kind of resistant to T-slots because I like bolting things down in exactly the same spot. But after using the machine for a little bit, using like the side clamps that we have, uh, it's actually really easy to just um, clamp down a, a like a wooden board eight inches wide, 12 inches wide. You, just, you move the clamps a little bit and you lock them back in. And it's actually really convenient. So, so how much, just, just for a little point of reference, how much is the, uh, shape Oco pro? What, what are we? So your, your standard shape Oco, the shape Oco three will run you somewhere between like a thousand and $2,000. The shape Oco pro would be between two to 3000. Okay. But obviously we're talking about a much more competent machine, I, I guess, or. Yeah. Um, if if this is like your first CNC and you don't have like huge ambitions, you just want to make like little signs or like, like cut out little wooden earrings for Etsy or something. You don't really need the capability, but if this is a machine where you really want to push it, uh, if this is going to be for like a small business or something, you need some, that extra level of reliability of, Hey, I don't want to crack a V wheel or I don't want like dust build up to impede the, the way the machine rolls. Um, it's not just that the machine is stronger. It's also more reliable in the long run. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I feel like, um, I feel like my CNC, I feel like I, I maybe overbought it a little bit. Like maybe I should have, should have bought something, you know, for, cause my, it was very good, but it's just my needs maybe aren't quite what, um, what, what are you running, Jeremy? What's your CNC? Yeah, so I've got a Romax CNC. It's, um, if you've even heard of those, they're, they're, I think it's a three foot by two foot bed. And it's got, um, it's got the screw, the screw, screw leads on it. Screws. So that was, I guess, something that, correct or not, I was always very uh, partial to that. I, I guess maybe coming from a, you know, manufacturing engineering background, it's just, you just, I guess you get some things in your head and you're like, I, I got to have that <laughs> or, you know, there's no doubt but, that it's better, but it's a question of, is it, is it necessary? Is it worth the extra? Right. And, you know, looking, looking at it, I, you know, it's a good machine, but you know, again, was it, was it what I needed? And I think that's something that people always have to kind of, kind of contemplate, you know, do they need this or, you know, for that matter, do they need something, you know, smaller, like, like a nomad that they can put on their desk or do they need something bigger, kind of a little bit bigger area, or do they need something, you know, or, or do they need to go for the $20,000 machine that they're going to be running 24 hours a day, I guess, you know, things where you um, can cut the knife handles out of a solid block of titanium, those sort yeah, of machines, those yeah, crazy. That's, um, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think it's all, you know, maybe it's, I don't know. I guess when shopping around, it's like you, you should make sure you keep your eyes open and not just. Yeah. And I think it's also. Tunnel like, vision. It depends on what you want to do with the machine. 
if you have a business plan, I think any machine uh, you can make work. Uh, like any machine will be able to pay for itself if you have the right projects for it. And as a hobbyist, like like the Romax, it looks like a capable, sturdy machine. Uh, nothing wrong with it. Uh, but like if if I had purchased that as my first machine, I would not have made the most of it. Because I started out with no knowledge of CNC, and the first things I made were like a couple little like keychain things, a bottle opener. They weren't things that were <clears throat> going to pay off a machine like this. Right, um, right. So it, it yeah, depends I, on where you're at in your your maker journey, I guess. No, I agree, and and I guess that being said, that was not my first CNC. I actually had a a Zen Toolworks. I don't know if you've heard of them, but it was a yes. Okay, seven inches by twelve inches, and man, I. I got a lot of use out of that for for as small as it was. I mm-hmm. I did a lot with that. It was um I don't know. Anyway, it was it was it was a for what it was, it was it suited my needs well. But it was I, you know, it was a lead screw it was a screw machine, not a not a belt drive. And I think that maybe you know, maybe you just got that idea in my head and had to ha- had to have it. But I wound up talking myself into the biggest shape Oko, the XXL and I I don't want to say that I regret it, but I kind of wish I just went with the XL because the XXL is so deep. There's so much machine in front of you, and I never I I think I've used it once. I really depth. like the XL form factor, um, just because like it fits on like a two foot deep workbench. Yep, and it jut out and and take over your garage. Yeah, it's such a big table. I had to put that the XXL on. And I'm sure I, I'm going to be excited. Yeah, I talked myself into it because w- one of the things I thought would pay for the machine, I need to. I want to put new doors on all our cabinets in the kitchen. And I figured I could do something really cool. With, you know, I could do some kind of cool design or something. And you know, I started measuring cabinets, and two of the doors are tall enough and wide enough that they wouldn't quite fit on the XL. So like, well, won't quite fit. Yeah, that's, it was only two inches. Yeah, it's like it's all. It's always what it is. It, yeah. You know. I, I bought this machine that's just gigantic compared to the one I had before. And it's, you know, like, well, if I just had like a little bit just, more. Then I could do that other project. I guess that's, I don't know. Then then you talk to people like, I was talking to somebody else I, I kind of know. And it's like, you know, he has a gigantic machine. I think it's an eight by four, you know, like a full size, whatever. And like, well, you don't ever want a bigger machine with that, I guess. He's like, yeah, but then you want like the. You know, another there's always more features you can add on to it, and I guess that's yeah, I guess that's never, uh, like we've had. I know we talked about this off camera before, but like we have had people asking, like, "Hey, are you going to make a a four by four machine?" And then, like in the forums, people are like, me. "Why are you going to stop at four by four? Why don't you go five by five? I want to cut my Baltic birch plywood, and it comes in five by five. So you, there's no winning with these people. That no, someone always wants it bigger. Yep. yep, it's true. true. It really is. But yeah, I mean, I guess that's life, though. Otherwise, otherwise, what fun would it be if there wasn't something new to think of, to think about? <laughs> I, I mean, I guess I guess the thing too. I always think like, you know, in some ways, really, I should probably. Well, I've always got to think about how big my garage is because I just don't want to take up all the space with my stuff. I got you know storage and in theory i'd like to be able to park one car in it but that's rarely happens um so yeah, you know I, that's something I, to think about too i mean you know you can spend as much money as you want and unless you're gonna spend the money 
put that extra car car to, to expand your garage and it's just not going to happen my dream has always been to have a machine that i could drop a full four by eight sheet on but i don't i i don't want to spend the money and i don't want to take up that much room i'm always tempted by the uh oh my goodness it's jumped out of my head the uh the vertical the inexpensive oh, vertical seat the Maslow, yeah, they just upgraded the Z-axis on the Maslow. They have a more expensive model. It's the, it's and, the Maslow. It's like, you know, well, you know, you go one way, you get the the, the lead screws versus this is the, the opposite uh, of lead, the belt way is like the opposite. <laughs> accuracy wise. Yeah, and I'm sure I, I the guess. accuracy on the Maslow is not nearly, but it takes up so little room compared to yeah, a real four by eight. I've got a buddy with one and. It's like he did a project that I thought was really well suited to it for Halloween. He made some like big, like person sized cutouts of like monsters that he put up in his yard. Oh, that's very and cool. That's, that's really great. Yeah. Um, the thing you can't do with it is like and like a large 3D carving. So like a, yeah. a topographic map, because the sled that rides <laughs> on the face of the plywood needs something flat to sit on. And I so want to start machining. I watched pockets. a gentleman on YouTube carve a guitar with the new Z-axis, you know, the curve of the mm -hmm. the fretboard. And yeah, you're right. There you you can't you'll never get all the way up to four by eight with that. He had to do fancy stuff to you know for the sled to ride on. Mm -hmm. uh, but you guys have to had to correct me if I'm way off base. Look, maybe this is the guy's name, but I mean Maslov isn't like the, the whole the one's hierarchy of needs. So you buy the Maslov red router and well, it does what you need. It's tiny, and it pretty much gets you what you want. Or maybe the guy who invented it was named Maslov. I'm not entirely sure of that. There, there could always be more than one guy. I know the guy you're talking about, though. Yeah. I always maybe figured he's that a descendant of that guy. It would be a good pairing to have a Maslow and a smaller shape Oko in the same garage. To... Oh, that'd be, my, that'd my be buddy crazy. That. Yeah, he's doing a good job. He's, he's living my dream, I guess. You you cut out the like the wide wide stuff with the Maslov, and then you'd have like the the Shapeoko or the the Nomad. Even you could have like inserts. Do the fine you know, stuff. Precision, precision inserts of your random stuff. Yep, and I don't have a table saw. I could just use the Maslow as it just to cut material down. Just let, have the robot do it. <laughs> yeah, just have the robot do it. That's yeah. That was that's, that's his dream. job. Uh. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I guess uh, I will say whenever I have a CNC router running in my 3D printer, I feel like I've just, and I'm doing something else, like independently of filing something, that's that's like, like, ah, uh, finally done. I'm doing what I need to do. This you're, is everything. You're living the robot army dream. Yeah. Robot army dream, yeah. You have your, your machines doing your bidding. Do you have your 3D printer in the same space as your CNC? I do. Just out of curiosity, have have you ever had any issues with dust, like just getting on the print bed and causing adhesion issues? Well, I actually have an enclosed print bed, so that's okay. you know, got that. no gotcha. problems. I, I was worried about that because my printer is like five feet from my shape oko, and I, I put up some doors and some side windows, but from the top, it's still exposed. So I, I can see there where that would be a problem. I mean, it is enclosed, but honestly, I always had the mostly had the top cracked open so I could put a camera through there. Mm -hmm. And even with that, I didn't have much of a problem. Although I don't know how much I ran the router. Yeah, I guess I guess I ran it some, but 
Yeah, I, it hasn't been a problem for me. I could see where it would be though. So, okay, I'll just keep an eye on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can I can only imagine the dust in my garage is ridiculous. Ever since, especially with the, cutting the carbon fiber with the tiny. I mean, you know, I vacuum as best I can. There's still dust. Mm -hmm. that, you know, wear a mask. Always wear a mask. That's important. Yeah, that stuff is. It's is nasty. It's nasty. I would be so upset if I was cutting it all the time. Mm -hmm. Instead yeah, of just prototyping. Like manufacturing, I'd be terrified if I, you know, cut um, sheet after sheet after sheet. Question for you, Pat. Sure. Which cutters did you end up using for machining carbon fiber? I try a whole. I, I'm not sure. I found a difference, but yeah, I've tried. I use two millimeter cutters because that's the. I have to cut M2 holes, so it's easier mm -hmm. to just use the, and that's right about the right size. And I found some on Amazon, and I wish I could look these up. They're a single flute, but they have that. Uh, you know the fiberglass style cutting like they've got a like the burr the, the burr the yeah too. it's all burr around them yeah and i think i got 10 of them for 15 bucks or something i'm gonna i'm gonna check if you guys don't mind because it should be in my order yeah, history right here i'm always curious what you end up as uh with because i think i did my first cuts with just a regular eighth inch end mill and for mm -hmm. small scale stuff it doesn't really matter yeah, but I've heard long term like those cutters will wear down because the carbon fiber is so abrasive. It's so bad. Every cutter I've tried, I've tried at least four different kinds. But I'm using all the cheap ones because I don't want to break. You know, I'm more likely to break them than, and they're only a buck each. Yeah. But by the time I, you know, I'll cut a whole quadcopter frame, and by the if I don't remember to change that cutter the next time, my screw holes are going to be too small. Mm. It's it where it does wear down. And but, now my friend who bought the 3018, and I don't even think we mentioned him on air. I think that was between during the break, but he just ordered a bit, uh, an, a mana tool carbon fiber cutting bit that has some kind of crazy coating that's supposed to last forever. We haven't tried it yet. And it's too big to cut any of the stuff I cut. It's a, it's closer to, I think it's a quarter inch. No, it can't be. It's a quarter inch shank, but a smaller I think it's an eighth inch. That would mill. probably That's make too, the most sense. Yeah, yeah it's I too big for me one. for the stuff I cut. But he wants to do these, uh, these uh, what do you call them, scales for a knife. Mm -hmm. And none of the holes are smaller than the end mill that he picked. This was one of our quick. That's not focusing. But yeah, the, but this, oh my gosh, doing this big pocket mm -hmm. on the side, so much dust came out of that more than cutting a whole quadcopter frame just out of one scale it was ridiculous yeah i don't know the carbon fiber cutting that just scares me i'm, I'm very paranoid as, as pat knows from other uh well one of us has to be that's right yeah I... so you know <laughs> as, as you say you've got two eyes and two lungs as well so it's true just when you're out when you cut carbon fiber just use the left one and then when you come back in the house use both and you'll be fine none of us believe that in fact don't don't believe anything you hear here yeah we make mistakes all the time you're still listening then thank you and i looked up those end mills and i didn't actually say what it says and it's really it, it's tungsten steel it says it's hq master 10 pack end mill milling cutter router bits it's a fantastic title i'll send you a link i'll put it in the description of the yeah, well, it's it's so it's so well SEO titled. You could probably just 
Just look you could whatever. Google that. I <laughs> yeah, and I've uh, tried ordering end mills from eBay was terrible. That it, you know, because they had things I couldn't find anywhere else. And I ordered single flute end mills. I was so excited because you know my Dewalt router spins so fast. The math for how fast I should be cutting, I can't. I can't cut that fast. And they sent me two, two flute end mills. I was so bummed out. It took like a month for them to get here. I, f- I feel like we're having like true machinist confessions here or something <laughs> like we're. That's know. that's usually how machinist podcasts turn out. It turns into like a, a therapy session for all parties involved. I can believe this. I totally believe this. I guess uh, I guess we've been talking for a while. You guys want to tell me what uh, what you guys are working on these days and then we'll maybe wrap it up. Is that sound good to you guys? Yeah, sure. Sure. Right. Well, why don't you, Winston? You're, you're our guest today. So, what's your what's your big project you're working on? So, I've got two projects that I'm cooking up right now. One of them is a small 3D printing project. Um, so, I've been trying to sort of as a New Year's resolution improve the organization of my shop. And late last year, I bought like half a dozen uh, Dewalt organizer cases, and the uh, removable bins that are in these cases are a little too large. Uh, to like fit the the assorted hardware that I want to put in here. Uh, right. There's 10 bins per case, and that's not enough to capture the diversity of objects I want to arrange there. So I'm designing and printing out some little subdividers that will drop in to these bins, and hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I'll have my, my shop will magically transform into this pristine environment, but it likely won't, um, but nice. I'll feel better about it. So nice. that's my small project. And the big project is a more long-term thing where I've got a buddy who's really big into camping. He's got a trailer and he likes to go off-road and stuff. And he wanted to build a little uh, pull-out kitchen on drawers for his trailer. So you can just pull up to a campsite, pop open the door and uh, pull out the hatch and out comes a little camping stove, a little cutting area, uh, some storage, some cabinets for your pantry. And... Yeah. Uh, some of it will likely have to fabricate by hand with your traditional power tools. Um, but for the parts that I can design around, like the stove, I want to try and see and see some parts and ship them to him. And then at some point, once uh, we're all free to travel around, we can go camping together. Nice. That's fantastic. You know, Jeremy was making faces while you're talking about that. The former co-host of this podcast, his business is literally making drawer slides for RVs. That's that's his thing, but, but he calls them caravans. So I don't know if that's uh, mm. different. <laughs> no, yeah, that's his uh, his thing. He uh, pretty pretty neat pretty neat idea, I guess. Um, anyway, yeah, his name is Max Maker. I don't. He'll never tell us what his business name is, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, hopefully that'll. Uh, I'm sure that'll be a fun, fun pursuit. Yeah, that's funny. I I do. Um, I have a bunch of uh, Harbor Freight boxes, which are, I guess, are probably like Dewalt kind as well. I don't know. Anyway, the clear anyway, top I, cases, right? With the little... yeah, they like pop open. They have like removable little dividers in it. So, yeah, those are that's great stuff. I've actually printed some dividers for for mine too. So, they, I think that's a good good little project. Um, as far as what I've been working on, I've I've got. It's funny. I guess I've been on kind of a piece printed circuit board kick lately i've got a i don't know a couple of things that i'll i guess reveal before too well whatever one of them is a um 
like a camera trigger, like a, with a passive infrared sensor. So you hook it up to a Canon camera and hopefully it'll just take, take pictures of wildlife or whatever else, but kind of, kind of prototyping that. So it's basically like a, you plug in one of these little PIR sensors, sends a signal to the camera takes a, takes a flash and hopefully you see a deer or osprey or whatever else happens mm -hmm. in front of it. So, but yeah. What about you, Pat? Anything, anything interesting? I've yeah. I've been uh, kind of busy with other things. I haven't been starting any new projects, but on very different than what you guys are doing. I ordered some used InfiniBand hardware off of eBay, some 40 gigabit InfiniBand network card. I have 20 gigabit now, but it's so cheap. This old used enterprise hardware just sells so cheap. It's costing me about 70 bucks to move up to 40 gigabit. Wait, wait, wait. Between... So you say what do you what do you mean by that? I guess well, slow... I know what you're you're gonna get at, Jeremy. Like your laptop has an Ethernet port and it's probably a one gigabit port. And what I've bought for my desktop and my little VM server here, what's currently in there are twenty gigabit. It's something called InfiniBand. It used to be used for you know, compute clusters used to use it. It's you could basically use I'm not using it this way, but you can basically use memory on another machine as if it's local memory on this this So all the machines in your machine learning, whatever, they didn't call it machine learning back then, could all access memory on each other's hosts at very high speeds with very low latency. I'm just running IP over it. But my current cards are old enough that the PCIe slots that I have in my computers here are limiting it to about eight gigabit. And I'm hoping the new ones will double that okay. if I've done my math, right? That's kind of insane, but that's awesome. It is. It, proof. it makes my NAS feel like local discs. I mean, they're just sitting here. It's only a one meter cable between. It's not like it's in another room, but. Well, that sounds awesome. So, so when you yeah. say that you're not, you're not going, you're not getting 40 gigabits of speed from the internet. You're getting it from. No, no, just the two drive. machines that are, right next to each other not no internet involved my internet's only 200 megabit it's not nearly that fast you know the whole i guess the whole concept it just i just picture like somebody like some sci-fi movie where somebody captures everybody's brains and you can think with their brain you know, earth I guess to, earth to jeremy it. you're doing the earth to jeremy earth to yeah past, you know so. i've got all these people that i've just i've just <laughs> captured their brains and they're just giving me their intelligence so, One day yeah. when uh, Pat needs to transfer his consciousness, he'll have the perfect hardware to do it. Yep, I'll have all the bandwidth I need. Well, well it's just it's are... so much cheaper. You could buy 10 gigabit over Cat Cat Six cable hardware, but they're like 100 or 150, maybe 200 dollars per card. And then the switches to do it are. I don't need a switch. Though. I'm just plugging the two machines into each other. But these InfiniBand cards are 30 bucks each, and it's 40 gigabit instead of 10. It's a, it's. What kind of cable do you need to connect them? Uh, an SFP plus, a QSFP plus, I think that's quad SFP plus <clears throat> cable. I've got one, it's, uh, where do you see this here? <laughs> it's this, uh, they've got this end, geez, it's focusing on my hand, with a, uh, it's got a little circuit, printed circuit board looking end on it. Huh. And yeah, it's only this little short, this was an $18 cable. This is different than my 20 gigabit cable. That's a CX4 cable. And the CX4 cable is interesting. I looked those up. 
you could run something like 10 or 15 gigabit Ethernet connections over them somehow. I don't know what kind of hardware you use for that, that it's 10 different gigabit ports connected for cross-connected. Some I don't know who did that. That seems really weird. That looked way more sci-fi than I was expecting, and that is delightful. It's, isn't that cool? And they make these with, that's copper. They make them with, they have the same looking ends, but then you run fiber between. If you needed to go more than two meters, I think you have to go fiber mm -hmm. for this. Well, good for you. You're, uh, I'm excited. No, so. It may make. I'm going to be real disappointed if I find out that I'm remembering one of these PCIe slots wrong, and I won't actually get any speed increase whatsoever. I don't mind spending the. It was only seventy bucks to do the whole thing, but I'm going to be bummed out that I tear these machines apart, put new cards in them, get climb on the floor, and then get eight gigabit again. That. <laughs> but it'll be okay. So, Winston, where can uh, where can people find you? Uh, usual social media places, Twitter, Instagram, are where I'm most active, uh, at Winston Makes, one word. And if you just search me on YouTube, uh, Winston Moy, uh, you'll find me there. And you can also find uh, a lot of my content for Carbide 3D on the Carbide 3D YouTube channel. Nice. I'm going to tell you, I was really confused yesterday or the day before. I accidentally typed Winton Moy without the S. And he's out there. He has two subscribers on YouTube. I was, mm. yeah, I typed I'm I wondering if I like, should maybe just squat on that uh, <laughs> website URL just to take it just in case and redirect some, uh, some lost well, uh, followers. I'm sure he was glad when you subscribed to him, Pat. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Pat, Pat where, uh, where can we find you? If oh, somebody's... well. Well, most people know me from my blog, but they find me just Googling things. I don't think I'm uh, I'm not exactly a personality, but I have but, a YouTube channel. I'm on Twitter. Most I tweet things all the time, all kinds of nonsense. Yeah. And you're, well, patshead.com is your, your uh, website. People it is. And it used to just be an animated GIF of my head, like Bill Nye spinning around. But yeah. That's not so even so the um, expectations are real, real low for that one, but it's, I hope so. Better. It's better than that at this point, right? Yes, it's bad. There's all sorts of. There's hundreds of thousands of words up there these days. It's amazing. You can you can read each and every one if you so you desire. Can. <laughs> <laughs> and how about yeah. you, Jeremy? Are you on the internet too? Yeah, I'm on the internet. Usually, I go by Jeremy S. Cook, so you can find that on YouTube. I think I, actually, I think I do. Uh, Jeremy Cook DIY is what I put on YouTube now, and then uh, at Jeremy S. Cook on Twitter. And uh, yeah, you know, branding is it. hard. Well, you're right about that. So, but yeah, um, well, thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on, Winston. And yeah, yeah this has been fun. Here. Been a lot of fun.